Look. Told y'all, man. Got it fucked up. You put your money on the laws, man. They told y'all wrong. Dewan already sold y'all songs. You're going to get into it? You feel yeah, ready? Yeah, Fuck yeah. Well, listen, man, we've kind of, we kind of uh, have touched on some of the questions, but I'll probably ask you them again. But I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for being here, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. No doubt. So I like to start these interviews off similarly because I think, you know, all of our stories start the same. We all start off as children, unless you're Benjamin Button and you start old. You know, most of us start, uh, start off the same way. So, I, you know, I'm curious, how did you get from, you know, being uh, Allie the child to, you know, Ali, the man, the myth, the legend, and the artist. How'd that happen? <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so I've been, where do I start? Like when I was baby? Like when I was born? We can start there. <laughs> All right. I think I came out of my mom. <laughs> and, and, then, and then we were in Iran. I think at the time we were in Iran when I, yeah. So I'm sure it was like a, the way she would probably explain it is there was a, a lot of rain and snow outside. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the elements responded. Yeah, there was, it was pretty crazy. And she had a dream or something. And uh, anyways, and she just was telling me that my name wasn't supposed to be Ali at all. It was some other old school Persian Iranian name. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it started there. <laughs> the story begins. And that's the story. <laughs> And I was born with a pen in my hand or a Japanese brush in my hand or something. Nice. Uh, no, I mean, I lived in Iran. I, I do remember very uh, early childhood stuff was, uh, it's a mix, right? Because you have all these good memories and you have these bad memories. But um, the good stuff is that, you know, my dad was an airline pilot. My mom was taking care of me and my sister. We did have uh, a stay in America probably early on, like, my kindergarten or first grade first grade was in the u.s mm. because my dad was training to become a pilot here uh with the iran air iran air would send young pilots here to train here and get mm. their licenses here this is before the revolution right so it was more open and uh so like early days of like what sparked some of the creative stuff that i do now is like i remember clear clear miss linda my kindergarten teacher and like up north i think it was san francisco before the day we're moving back to Iran, mm -hmm. she gives me a Snoopy. I remember it like clear as day, the, the little Snoopy. And I had it till I was older. And I think it even got transferred here, but I lost it somewhere in between moves. But that stayed with me. You know, like mm -hmm. those are like, I remember sparks. I remember high points. And I think all kids do. And that's what, you know, I try to, if I'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time with my kids, it's about creating as many high points as I can with my kids so they can remember those positive points. And low points obviously we remember as well um so i remember some high points from the creative standpoint i also remember painting and drawing and drawing in my uh you know notebooks and stuff back home all the way up to like fifth grade which is when i moved here um and that was always encouraged like i might get a c on a on an essay but there was always a doodle there and by the doodle the teacher would be like good job so I, I only saw them when I was older. My, you failed my, the test, but this drawing is fucking awesome. Yeah, good job. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's where, it, you know, that's where probably the creative stuff started. And it was a way of like dealing probably with a lot of the, I always talk about anxiety and stuff, but I see it mm -hmm. as kind of a gift now. Uh, you know, the traumas that we go as children through. 
So um, I was into Tintin, like huge Tintin fan when I was a kid. Cause, but it was all in Farsi. Mm. We had, uh, we had the uh, Tintin books, like, but they were big. I don't know how they were here in America, but these were like big, huge books, skinny, but like hardback mm -hmm. uh, comic books. And um, that's like early. Uh, and then, you know, we were in a state of war. So there was a lot of bombs and anti-missile aircrafts in the middle of a city like Tehran. Like it's like right. LA, imagine LA, but every night all the lights go out and we have to stay quiet. And there's anti-missile and anti-aircraft things going up in the sky, the Iran-Iraq war. Mm -hmm. um, so my parents decided that we, we should move here. We already had everything ready. So the last time that we came here was 1986 and we stayed. And uh, yeah, so I started sixth grade in LA, nice. Hancock Park Elementary. It's pretty close to you, huh? Yeah, that's you know wild. It uh, yeah, yeah, I do. And I, you know, it's, it's a wild story that by the time you were six, you had lived in a country that was at war. Yeah. Like, that's wild. Do you, do you, did that inform kind of your art and, and how you're, how you, you know, yeah, I moved here or? in 10, but if, when I remember what I used to draw was a lot of like tanks, guns, mm. uh, soldiers. And then I would have these like little battles between them where I would draw like two soldier sides and then I would make, like, I would, like not animate, but I kept like, let's say a missile was going across, but I kept mm -hmm. drawing it over and over again. And then I would put it here and then blow this one up with like scratch. Like I had those things that I would do all the time. Uh, so it did affect the work, I think, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't seeing myself as an artist. I was just probably like using it as a way to get, um, get stuff out. Yeah. And then I never grew out of that in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, so we moved here when I was 10, again, Hancock Park Elementary. Same thing. I um, I don't remember a lot at Hancock Park uh, other than my teachers and grade school, but in John Burroughs Junior High, that's where I went. Uh, do you know where that is? Yeah. yeah. Wild. <laughs> I haven't been here that long, but I know the names of the places you know? that you're referencing. Yeah, I've been here for a few years now. It's crazy, the, the small world that we live in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, Hancock Park is on Fairfax. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think uh, John Burroughs is on 6th Street and like something. That's... I used to live over there. I lived in Filipino Town, which is pretty okay. close. To, yeah, I recently moved to North Hollywood. But yeah, I was over there. Okay, so you know, yeah. Mm. I mean, so over there, it was kind of traumatic too. I mean, like, like the Bloods and the Crips would want to like get into it on our street. So we would have to like lay low on, on some days before we would leave and our parents would pick us up. Uh, but I did get a lot of um, early again, high points that I remember, for example, Mr. Flincham was our computer teacher, but I had like a after school computer access for some reason, there was a class that we would go to Apple two C's. Do you know what that is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So okay, we had Apple two C's and we had one Mac, one of those little gray ones. Uh, we weren't allowed to touch it. Only the TAs and only the cool people, you know, but I would get on the Apple two C and I would design like, there was an app called print shop. So you could design banners and greeting cards and, but it was all dot matrix stuff. So you would hear me, 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 you would print like, you know, like a whole uh, banner, but it would take like 18 sheets of paper right. all attached to each other. You have to remove the sides. So that was my first design experience. And I, I would gravitate towards it all the time. It seemed like, even though I had no skills, it just, it just was something I, I liked. And then a couple of my teachers, one of my teachers gave me my first 
branding job or design job. He's like, do our Christmas card. So I designed the Christmas card. I remember it. And he goes, when you finish on the back, draw something on the bottom, like Hallmark does. You know how, have you seen a Hallmark card mm-hmm. you know, on the back? It says Hallmark with the crown. Yeah. He's like, put something there, like a crown or whatever, and put Ali the Great or Ali the Great. And I was like, cause you know, the, that's probably connected to like Muhammad Ali and stuff, but mm-hmm. he's like, that's what you're going to put there. So I think that was my first thing of like branding, mm. like, okay, this is by, made by Ali. Right. Uh, so I still have a copy of that card that he signed over to me. I love that. Yeah, it's in my, it's in my, so that was my first design gig. Didn't touch a computer. I think from a design perspective till college after that. So wild. And where did you go to school? Cal State Fullerton. First, I went to Saddleback College for like three years, got stuck there for, which is a, in Mission Viejo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up playing pool, like in the pool hall for two and a half years of it until I had to leave. And I wasn't very good at pool either. The, the janitor of the school used to beat me all the time. I mean, so I spent go- a lot of time in there, but it didn't do any good. Yeah, I listen. That's like me with poker, man. I spent a lot of time playing and a lot of time losing. <laughs> yeah, it just didn't. I, I, you could have at least gotten good at. I could have at least gotten good at it, but I didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't have any uh, inclination to become an artist. But when I was fifteen or fourteen or whatever, I do remember drawing a lot or trying to copy comic books. Not very good. Uh, I did try to invent a lot of things. Like I, I thought I might be an inventor. I did have a fascination with like get rich quick schemes. And uh, I would read a lot of like uh, entrepreneur magazine and like this guy started this company and this guy started this company. So like those stories really fascinated me. Mm. Uh, but, you know, they were, they were very difficult to, to reach, right? Because it just seemed like you needed so many other things and they only tell you one part of the story as far as uh, the things go. So, but yeah, drawing was, was something that I just did to get, to get it out. Angst. And what was the day that you kind of realized, you know, this, this hobby and this love and this passion that I have for art could become a business. Do you, do you remember like the day that 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 transition happened? I think in college when I started doing, I didn't do design, but I did a, a class called, design communication and I had very natural ability to do the projects. I, I went back into the computer. I went back to the graphic design and uh, I realized I had a knack for identity and design work right mm-hmm. away. I did. I made myself business cards in college. I just remembered that was like the first thing I did with the, and it was called lucid graphics. Nice. I didn't even know what that meant. Like Cool name though. <laughs> cool name. Yeah. Lucid yeah. Graphics. So that was my first company name thing. Uh, then I got my first stint at a large, uh, uh, my first internship was at a place called Bozell. So Bozell, we had Milk, Kawasaki, AirTouch. I don't think you remember AirTouch. Uh, AirTouch became singular, then it became AT&T. Mm. Wow. So it's gone through like three different changes since I've been around. Uh, Hilton Hotels. So I was on the, on the pitch for Hilton. And I, we won the Hilton account. It was like a $50 million account. And I had wow. like six pieces in it. And I was still like 20 something, 21, 20. So I got, I got some early stuff lucky without knowing what I was doing. So I was always in the process of doing stuff, like, but not knowing. 
uh, and drawing was a way of just getting, again, just getting, it was a habit of doing it to probably heal, to go through stuff, you know, let go of things. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't necessarily because I knew I was going to, I didn't see myself as an artist per se, but designer, that was kind of the first thing. That's where the the first thing, an art director. I Mm like that title, art director, you know. So I, became a, I became a junior art director at FCB for Conan Belding. That's in 1999 uh, after graduating college. So I learned all my design skills there because I only had one design class. It wasn't a real design class. It was called graphic communications mm. and an illustration class, which I got a D in. Crazy, right? Wild. Like, the teacher would be like, why are you here? Why? Like he, she looked at me. I remember this look. She goes, why? Why do you do it like this? Because it was really bad. I have one of the pieces. This is so there's a there's a, a story about and there's a student. I went to CU Boulder and there was a student in the engineering. Um, was it the architecture school or the engineering school? I think it was engineering. But basically, like they were doing architecture designs. So maybe it was architecture. Anyways, he has this design of a building, right? And the teacher failed him on it. And the guy goes on to be one of the biggest architecture names in the world, right? So CU comes back around and they're like, hey, we want to commission you to design a building. So he used the design that the teacher had failed him on all no those years. Way. And it's it's a horrifyingly ugly building. Like the pipes are all on the outside. <laughs> it looks horrible. But I love those stories. It's like you, you know, like you're, yeah. you know, a legend in the design field. And this teacher failed like a D. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I have, if I find it, I'll show you one day. The D is is on the back of it, right? And I I doodled on it. I, it has two eyes with a sad face, and it says, "I wish I was a C." That's I, amazing. That's what I wrote on it. It's so funny. Yeah, it's, it, that that was the beginning of 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 it. That's the only illustration class I had. I became an, a junior art director at FCB. I did work for about nine months, but my anxiety and everything else that I had, they said you got to go. And I said, what do you mean? They said, it's not working out. And, but I, I learned a lot. I mean, nine months of just kicking ass over there, just learning, learning, learning. Uh, so because we only had Taco Bell, it, it's a big agency. So mm-hmm. FCB draft, if you look it up, it's num- one of the top five. Bozell was one of the top fives. They merged and then they keep merging, right? Uh, so working on Taco Bell was basically like weightlifting. Because we got to do everything from concept, like learning how to do, uh, coming up with an idea of like, like I did a cup for the Dallas Cowboys and Taco Bell collaboration, right? So I would have to come up with the illustrations for that, how to put it around and then hire an illustration firm to do it because we didn't do illustration in house and then move on from there to doing the production, getting it ready for print, like getting it ready for the print side of things. Mm-hmm. and and all the way of seeing it through by going to a press check. So these were like the basics of learning, but I learned it at the top of the game as a, a like early. So I learned in a big agency format. So when I came out, I was like, you know what? Advertising isn't, is, isn't for me because it's not, it's big. I was doing like 99 cent burrito billboards, you know, or every Taco Bell you would go to, it was like my Dallas Cowboy Cup, you know, in Dallas or UCLA and, uh, UCLA and USC had like, I did a cup for them where like, it was like a rivalry cup, you know, one side was USC once, you know, I no remember way. All this. Yeah, I have all these samples, but learning how to do those things, uh, 
but when I came out, I was like, you know what? Advertising isn't for me. How many times am I going to say 99 some burritos? What kind of impact am I making? Not knowing what impact even meant, but mm -hmm. I, I just like being a big fish in a small pond. I like making big impact on, not in a egotistical way, but I liked making an impact when like you want to start your website and I'm like, let me help mm. or, you know, or somebody wants to start a restaurant. I'm like, Ooh, I want to do the logo for that restaurant. And it becomes a community central like restaurant that everybody goes to like Moson where I named it and it became a club later. And so like for 10 years, I'd be like, have you seen my work? What, what have you done? Oh, have you been to Moson? Oh yeah. I've done the name branding. No way. You know? So I kind of liked that kind of effect of having on something that would succeed. And I did a lot of those. So, uh, yeah, so that was, that's like one track, you know, I have like three tracks in my life and that's one track and, uh, yeah. I so, love it. On that note, you know, uh, you've built a career, right? Like you, you are living off of art, which is something that I find not even I find it is incredibly difficult. So mm -hmm. for an aspiring artist, entrepreneur, someone who's trying to profit off of their work, what would be some words of advice that you would give to like an aspiring artist or someone who's trying to, you know, profit off of what they do? Don't start out trying to sell the work. Mm. Like, you know, because a lot of artists, I feel like, I don't know about a lot of artists. I'll just talk about myself. I think anytime I put monetization first, I failed. Mm. Pixel pop is a great example. When I started Pixel Pop in 1999, it was called something else. You know, it was called Sabit at first. Everything starts out with calling it Sabit. And then it's like, okay, no, this needs a real name uh, if it's a serious thing. So it was Baby Boy and Friends, Tenoshi, Tenoshi Twins. Those are some characters that, that I haven't released yet again. Uh, but the first thing I would do is slap them on t-shirts, make merch, and then have a box of merch and $15,000 credit card debt. And I'm like, what do I do with them now? And then I didn't have an audience. Nobody knew what the character or characters were except my friends and family. So a lot of friends and family got a lot of free stuff. And I ended up selling it at the trunk of my car for gas money and food. Because I wasn't like in the middle of LA or I wasn't ballsy enough to like, I wasn't like one of those go-getters. I was an artist. I wasn't going to go and like stand in the corner and like hot shirts or now I'm going to go get a booth at the Sunday market and sell, you know, or farmer's market. I wasn't that enterprising but I did make calls to like Tilly's and, you know, Nordstrom's and I started doing that, but nobody knew who I was. Nobody mm. knew who Pixel Pop was at the time it was called. And then 2004 was called Snooky. Nobody wanted a Snooky t-shirt. They wanted Paul Frank. I don't mm -hmm. know if you know who that is, or mm -hmm. they wanted Hello Kitty and big brands, right? You know, so if they're going to spend money, they're not one guy who's got some t-shirts in the trunk of his car. So the success of Pixel Pop, the initial success before NFTs came when I decided again to bring it out under the Pixel Pop name. And I promised myself, I have the branding skills, but I'm not going to make a logo. I have the way I have the design skills to make it look sharp and brand new and like look like the big boys, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to draw them every day. So by drawing them every day and sharing them every day, uh, that's when it started to pick up steam. And then I was like, oh, okay, now I see where the logo is. The little skull keeps showing up. I'm going to keep that as the logo. Even to this day, though, like the Pixel Pop Cuties, I have a logo file. I didn't use it. I just, I just redrew it. Mm -hmm. Like it's part of my system that I can redraw it every time. And I wanted that. I wanted that effect. I have bunny files all over the place. I have 10 years of bunny files. I redrew him, you know? So 
that sense of authenticity permeated through the brand and then it grew out of that. And that's why I think it does well because I paint every single one. You know, there's a, there's that energy again, we talk about, I don't know if you've heard me talk about energy and stuff a lot. Um, that that's what's making this driving this, that excitement that I have that people don't might not see, you know, they might see, Oh, he's selling bunnies and he's doing this, he's doing that but there's excitement behind every single thing that I'm working on. Right. I'm having a good time. Hell so, yeah. So I need people to know that if they're going to paint, um, I need one of those guards on this thing. If they're going to paint and they're going to make a living out of art, they got to be having fun and enjoying the process first. Mm, yeah. And it's hard to do when you're broke. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do when you're not making money. Right. So uh, a lot of the spiritual stuff that you you find they're like well you got to feel good and they they talk about i don't know if you've read any other stuff like esther hicks and uh the law of the secret the law of success you know spiritual success things mm. like that they always say you got to feel good first before it happens agreed like you, you got to feel as if mm -hmm. before it happens no you you bring me to a great transition which is you know, you speak on energy a lot in Clubhouse, but I would love if you were willing to touch on it here. You know, do you consider yourself a spiritual or a religious person? Mm. Not religious, but I guess spiritual. Mm. But even that term is kind of misleading, I feel. Yeah. I don't have a word for it anymore because like it's, I, I want to, I'm a realist, I think. Like most people might think I'm a spiritual, but I'm a realist. Like mm. people ask like, I'm a believer in energy healing and you're doing what you're doing. I believe in it. I'm like, I don't need you to believe in it. That's just reality. It, if, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, there's science and stuff just hasn't caught up yet. You know? So to me, spirituality is just reality. And um, I, I think, uh, or it's my reality and, and, you know, not yours maybe and not somebody else's, but from my perspective, spirituality is the truth and you know that's the word for it then okay love that i and, and i totally agree I, I call myself an optimistic realist yeah so i i vibe with what you're saying a lot and i you know i totally agree with everything you just said so you like, know i, I say don't that. sit there and namaste and shit and like you know and like align my ass chakra you know like to, to try to like do healings you know it's weird i just can just ask something to happen and it happens I, yeah, I, I, I believe in manifesting, you know, yeah. like, I think if you put the energy out, and, and this has been a recurring theme in a lot of interviews where people like agree with, essentially what you and I are saying, which is, if you put in your part, the universe and the, the powers that be and the energy or, you know, the truth of the world, it will reciprocate, sure. you know, if you're putting the work in. Yeah, as I a mean, way of when, returning. as a designer, for example, as a designer, I had to get a client, mm. get a deposit and then do the work and there's there's effort in every single aspect of it right go out there and find the client do the work get the you know get paid on the second half so but there's also a security there's a false sense of security in that that when you get a job you have a, a deposit and when you're a painter or a design or, or an artist or an illustrator or a 3d guy who's trying to sell nfts there is that safety net of the deposit isn't there mm. So it's all faith-based. You have to do it based on knowing that it's going to come, you know, and, and doing it not because of it, but because you're enjoying the process and having right. a good time. Right. It's a hard thing to do, right? So uh, 
but that's why having some sort of source of income is important as an artist at first. Like I, I tried to go cold Turkey on like not taking any design jobs in 2014. Instead, I, we had no money all of a sudden and you mm. can't do that when you have three kids. Um, so I went back for somebody, some, a spiritual person that I have, he's like, all you got to do is ask God and then just do it. And you'll, you'll be selling art. And that's, so I'm like, all right, I'll quit doing this design shit. I'm done with it. It's been like 18 years. And then I come back to him like three months later. I'm like, dude, it didn't work. Like I'm broke. You know, he goes, well, I did say like, you got to ask God for a transition. Mm. I'm like, okay. So I asked God for a transition and the transition took four years. I, it was, I wanted, I gave myself three. It took about four years and it was by force. The fourth year, I, my last client sold their company and moved on. And uh, I ended up having to like really rely on the artwork. Mm. So I just went, you know, I just went hundred percent in. It's a testament to what you're saying. I think, you know, from a personal reference point, we discussed this before the interview, you know, me losing all of my money, I saw as like God's transition for me. Like yeah. you, you want this, right? Well, I'm going to pull the rug out from under you and you better mm. really want it because this is what you got now. And, yeah. you know, it, it, like, like you were saying, you know, not having any money, especially, you know, I, I'm not um, obligated to a family. It was hard enough. I can imagine you know, the stress that that put on you being like a, being a parent, does that inform your art it, beyond just like a survival reason? Does it inform kind of your creation, um, having your own children? Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they'll remind me of things that I'm like missing, for example, mm. you know, like pixel pop taking back seats. Oh, you're not drawing stitch money anymore. What's going on? You know, like, you know, we really like that and you should continue. They, they pushed me to start Pixel Pop Academy to teach kids how to draw. Wow. So that, was, that was when the pandemic started. So I'm mm. like, all right, do you guys think it's a good idea? They're like, yeah, let's do it. And one of them was like being uh, Dean, my middle one. He was actually monitoring the room and he was chatting with the kids to make sure that everybody knew what they were doing. And yeah, so they get involved and they like to paint and draw as well. Uh, and you know, I bounce things off of them and they think I'm like, I, you know, when I was started the pixel pop uh, cuties, mm -hmm. I had like names like, okay, this one's a comp. I didn't even know what the word common was. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is like a regular character. And then Tigro is going to be rare. And then this one is going to be super rare. And this is super duper rare. And this is super duper uber rare. And they're like, are you kidding? Like, this is how you're going to name your, like, it doesn't work that way. You have to call them like legendary and like you have to call them like rare and all oh, the Fortnite model. Epic. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, what? What are those words? I'm like, okay. So, so like they guided me to through that process for, for Pixel. Huge. Pop. Young entrepreneur is coming up. Oh, yeah. One of them is making NFTs right now. And he, he wants, he, I, I kind of told him to because he want at the beginning, I encouraged him. I'm like, let's, you want to do this? Cause he draws He's, and he animates and stuff. I'm, and then I saw him kind of getting excited. And then I saw how difficult the business side of this can be on somebody's soul, whether you're doing good or bad. Uh, if you're doing good, there's stresses and anxieties there. And if you're doing bad, there's stresses and anxieties there. If you can't mm -hmm. handle it, it's, it, it can bother you. So I kind of slowed him down. I said, hey, 
you know, draw if you love to draw. I want to see you continue to draw. If I see that you're doing it because you're drawing for fun and you're still having a good time with it, then we can bring you on slowly onto the NFT world and see. Yeah. But be a kid. Yeah, be a kid. Have fun. You know, take that and go, go do your thing. Don't worry about business. You know, you're giving such amazing advice so naturally. My next question would be kind of as you rose up in your own career and as you've been on your own life journey, you know, whether it be friends, family, or otherwise, we all receive words of wisdom from people around us. Um, what have been some words of wisdom or some quotes that you've kind of heard or received throughout your life that have helped inform you on your journey? Oh, man. Uh, from a perspective of art and and creating a, a a career out of it, my friend I always say Spencer Brown. He's he's been a key part about me selling work, and he always said you need an audience and you need programs. Mm. And with pro- by programs he meant like putting together situations where it's fun for the collector to collect mm. your work. You know, right. there is there's tension between you and the and the collector, like a fun positive you know, like flash sales and, you know, yeah, like different things that I do every, every day, you know, like, and then that's why it was natural for me in the NFT world, you know, coming in, it's all about programs and how you drop and your Genesis piece. And, you know, it's all programs, you know, you're, you're building yourself some, some structure to come in and share your work. So you have to have run it. that back. If you're an artist right now in the NFT space or otherwise, run this back. This is yeah. amazing advice. What about as like a personal, like as as a human being, what are some words of wisdom that have informed you? <laughs> the harder of the two for sure. <laughs> I don't know. Take your time. We can edit out the silence. I don't mm-hmm. know is an answer you can go with too. It doesn't, you don't have to answer, but. Take your time if you have, if you think of one. Stay away from religion and politics. My mm. dad, I think that's a good one. Why do you but, think? Well, what is the rationale behind that one? I, I think it's been an easier life for sure. But mm. it, for him is because it's anything that's polarizing like that can, can be destructive, you know? Because if you're on one side, then your entire life and you get angry about like this side did this and that side did that. And I mean, that would have been not a very creative life. Mm. I think if I was polarized constantly by religion or politics, you know, not that I find anything wrong with them, but that right. those are the realities of an old worldly system mm. and they're going to be here and it's necessary for some and it's needed for some. Mm. Uh, but I think it's kept me free. Love that. It's, I mean, it's, I, I don't, I'm trying to stop saying I wish and start saying I would like, I would like if my brain worked that way. I just have, I'm too strongly opinionated about certain things. I'm like, <laughs> when you see things, yeah. I, yeah, I gotta, if I have a problem with something, you will know, you will know. <laughs> well, that's great. But it's like, what do you, but what are you paying that attention towards? Right? Like if I see like stuff wrong in the NFT world, or if I get, like some advice in the NFT world right now that I don't agree with, I will be very opinionated and I right. will talk about it and I will mm-hmm. share it, but then I let it go. Yes. You, know, I, you, yes. you can't hold on to it. So good stuff and bad stuff need to come in and go. Yeah. A lot of praise. You can't, you can't live on that. I love that. It's such great advice. It's something I, I personally, for the people in the audience who might not know me, I grapple with this daily of mm-hmm. like, 
positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, allowing it to just wash over me mm-hmm. and just move on with my fucking life. Like, yeah, thank you. And that's it. Thank yeah. you for the positive. Gone. Thank yeah. you for the negative. Gone. gone. You know? Yeah. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing regardless, but it is harder some days than others. Some things stick with you more than others. Like, sure. But uh, I appreciate that. I mean, that's, I think it's really, it's one of the things that, and I'm sure you can relate to this. It's easier said than done, but if you can achieve it, that's like enlightenment. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's hard. It's, it's really hard sometimes, you know, there's times where you'll, you'll wake up to a text message. You didn't, you know, you're like, what really this, this is how, and then, it's also your interpretation of it, you know, right. the way you're reading it. It's text. It's seven in the morning. You just woke up, you opened your eyes. You didn't. So, uh, but I've gotten a lot better at those. And I, I you know, and you not lead being me to in the design business. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said not being in the design business has helped too, because I don't get those emails or texts. Anymore. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, you, you lead me into a great question, which is during the COVID pandemic, we spent a lot of time at home, right? Deep period of introspection. And for me, what I realized was that my words were being misconstrued. I would say things to people and like, I would, you know, elicit a response that was not what I imagined the response to be. And I realized that I had to speak with more intention. I had to be more careful with my words because clearly there was a miscommunication happening because it was happening so often. I was like, what the fuck am I not? Why am I fucking up right now? And so I realized, well, you got to speak with more intention. What was something for you personally, maybe that during this time you've been working on internally? Um, I'm getting the deep questions right now. (laughs) Yeah. Like internally, well, so much of my stuff was like pre-2019. Mm. There was a lot of work like that had to be done to get to that point, I feel. Mm. Okay. But then it's been very, it's a lot less. Right now, it's a constant reminder of like, okay, so you're being dragged down energetically, raise your vibration, connect, mm. take a deep breath, go to sleep, eat right now oh you're not paying attention to like right now i'm not paying attention to my family as much as i should be Mm. you know so because of what's happening right now and i and the difference of knowing that this is a really important time not only from a personal perspective but to understand that i'm in the middle of something huge and i'm doing well in that trajectory and i should keep going because Mm -hmm. because i'm excited but at the same time i'm getting my kids going Really, you have to be on Clubhouse during lunch right now. You know, so, you know, remind those reminders. Those are the things I'm working on and battling like, yeah, I could work another couple of months and maybe uh, be good for the rest of our lives or lose out on these moments where, you know, it's lunch with my kids and I'm not paying attention 100%. That's really grateful for that. right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, that's, really- that's amazing. I mean, it's we are going through our own way of the same because when I first, when we first met, I was in New Mexico with my family and I went there to spend time with them. But I found myself in this community where I was like, I cannot pass this up. This is like, this could change my life. And my family was like, yeah, do it. You got it. But then they would be like, Will, you've been you? working for 24 hours a day. Yeah. You haven't slept in six days. Yeah, I'm getting the same thing, you know, like, like I'm getting like positive, and I'm being yelled at at the same time yeah. <laughs> by my kids. You know, like, like, do it, but like, don't at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, what? 
but you know i find myself we go to like family events and i'm like sitting in a corner in like some room on a panel with like really important people up top you know we, we're sitting there and having a discussion in front of and then you know wife walks in and she's like what are you doing clubhouse again you know or whoever my kids or whatever and i'm like yeah, I'm on a panel of like, I don't know, this and this is an important time to be, you know, talking to this panel and, and they understand, they leave me alone, you know, but, <laughs> but, but then again, you feel guilty. Yeah, but it's only for I think it's a it's for a short time to make sure that, um, you know, I do whatever it needs to be done for now to it's for them, for them. At the, yeah. yeah, I told them the other day, I'm like, you let me do this, you know, I'll be hanging out with you in the toilet. I'll be there anytime. You're taking a shit. I'll be sitting right next to you. We'll have my plenty of like, time. No, my kids like no. Fuck you, dude. No, no thanks. I don't want. No, that. I love that. It's it's really refreshing to you know to the audience. I'm sure a lot of you can relate. Me personally, this is really healing for me because you know I grapple with the same. I don't have my own children, but like mm-hmm. you know, my, I I had to sacrifice really quality time with my family who are you know parents are aging, siblings going off. We all live in different places and. um, you got to make tough decisions to do what you know is right. And it's really, you know, and I'm sure you can relate as well. When you hear someone else that you respect the way that I respect you saying the same, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm not alone. And on that, you know, you've heard you speak on anxiety a lot. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think a lot of artists tend to do is to suffer in silence with, you know, mental health. Uh, When was that? When was it that you started addressing, kind of your need to, you know, heal yourself mentally and, and address some of the anxiety that you were experiencing? I started the search probably when I was 15. Mm. So, you know, looking at spiritual books like Deepak Chopra's Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. And, mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of the issues with these books is that they don't have a, um, hold on one second. You're good. Let me mute this. Sorry about that. No, you're totally fine. I'll edit it out. Don't worry. Um, what were we talking about? Uh, addressing uh, your, your path to addressing anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. I think I didn't know it was called anxiety or mind suffering or depression, or I didn't have a name for any of this stuff till I was about 23 when it became really extremely high, high too much. Mm-hmm. And high levels of anxiety can really ruin. Ru- <laughs> cut this one out, ruin lives, (laughs) ruin your life, because anxiety can show up in so many different ways. And most people don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, it can show up as paranoia, it can show up, you know, extreme ends of it, right? You stop sleeping for three days, like I did, because I had sleep apnea on top of anxiety. And next thing you know, you have like fucking paranoia, and you're acting crazy, you know, and if you don't know, to check your sleep to see if you have sleep apnea on top of like having anxiety then you got a year or two before you figure out like i did it took about a year to figure out i have sleep apnea for Mm. example and then that corrected it and my anxiety levels went down Mm. um but not even knowing what the word anxiety was till i was 23 i was like what like really there's a word for it 
oh it can you can feel you don't have to have this weird empty soul feeling like all the time that's kind of cool uh luckily i never uh reached out for drugs or uh alcohol or anything i, I feel nice. blessed for that I mean, yeah i know a lot of people do and you know i i feel for them but i understand them mm-hmm. like as, no blame you know Agreed. no judgment it, mm-hmm. it's just a matter of like it's just it takes one more step to like heal from right it's like one other thing that you have to heal from uh but it's i think it's natural like everybody goes through everything from childhood traumas and war or you know we're some of the blessed ones that actually have family around us you know obviously we're not going to starve we're in america we're fucking blessed for that yeah if i was back home still you know there's uh people who can't you know they can't express themselves even creatively not Mm -hmm. only like they don't have money or can't eat they can't express themselves uh because of a, a government like watching over them so yeah we're definitely blessed but from an anxiety perspective there was a lot of things and then i I've, I, I kept looking, I think at 23, 24, uh, there was like counselors that you talk to. So there's no shame in like getting help. I, I think getting help is huge, um, especially at the, the extreme ends of it. People should get help and not feel alone. There's, you know, there's a lot of different organizations that I think help people. I did a collaboration with uh, it was like May t- uh, with Barabi. We did uh, with NAMI, National Organization of Anxiety. Mm. Something NAMI or yeah, yeah I think it's NAMI. Mm-hmm. So I did a collaboration with NAMI and Barabi. Nice. Uh, uh, about a year, year, two years ago. So, you know, just bringing awareness to that. I think anxiety is, is something very simple to cure. Not cure, but like to get better. Mm. Uh because it's a symptom of always warning your system that something is wrong. So like if I have it, you know, I get a little bit right now talking about it. Yeah. Just breathe it out, you know? Right. uh, Okay. It's gone. You know what I mean? It's an energetic signal. I don't see it as like a real thing anymore. It's your body telling you something is off. You got to like align yourself. You're not breathing, you know, basic things. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's in the breath. Um, so on a higher level, when you deal with some of the, I don't, I, I used to think therapy long-term was like necessary and dealing with your past issues and this and what happened to my childhood and I left and I, there was war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think there's important to talk about those things with someone. Uh, but when you do learn how to raise your vibration and frequency, which is what I talk about a lot, you vibrate at a different level then what happens is that stuff dissipates. And one of the things Eckhart Tolle says is like, I don't think about, I don't think, first of all, I don't think much. And, you know, when you ask me like some questions and I'm like, like, there's nothing like, I don't, it's not that I don't remember. It's just like, I don't pay attention to that anymore. What he says is like, I don't think about the past because I don't have much use for it. Mm-hmm. There's no yep. use for like hashing up and rehashing old stuff. Like, if you ask like an older dude and going, this happened to me when I was a kid, nah, 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 like, what are you still thinking about that? It's not yeah. here now. And you're like, you don't understand. You know, that's my story. That that's what happened to me. And, you know, it's that story and that identification with that story that creates the depression and the thing. And you keep looping it around. Right. So by raising vibration, what I've noticed is really quickly, people just 
transcend that story. And that's kind of what happened to me. My stories that I used to play in loops, there were so many of them that used to keep me down in that anxiety loop. But when you raise above it, all of a sudden, you're just kind of cruising over the clouds. I love that. It's very reminiscent of Zen Buddhism. I don't know if you're familiar with the precepts of, of that thought, but you know, the theory of being and not being and, and being in the present, being mindful, you know, the past and the, and the future don't really exist. They were and they will be. But what is is what's important. Right. It, it in my own way had very, you know, it had my own experience with this where we spoke about me losing my money. I had to come to a point where I was like, that doesn't matter anymore. That happened. It's gone. It's over. What's happening right now? You got a podcast that you love. You're interviewing incredible art. Like, and it's the same, right? Like in my way, when, when I get that wave and you're speaking about breathing, I think, you know, breath is in, breathing and drinking water. First of all, if you're not breathing yes. or drinking water, like intentionally, please yes. start. It's huge. But I had to, I will, I have these bouts of like self destruction. Yeah. You know, it's not water, but I'll drink something, but yeah, I started doing it after I found out I had a blood clot this past two months. Really? Is it? Are, are you doing better now? Okay. I drink like four of these a day after I found out. It's it's almost cleared. Good. I'm glad. I tell you. I tell you how I got it, but not because <laughs> I'm super unhealthy, but some I did something stupid at 45. But go for it. No, no. I was just saying. You know it. What was I even? Saying? Oh yeah. No. So I do. I'll, we'll, we'll make it sound good in post, yeah, yeah. but essentially what happened was I realized that I was incredibly self-critical to the point of self-harm mentally. Right. And I had to unpack that. I had to learn like, wow, other people don't talk to themselves like this and mm -hmm. this, you need to change the way that you speak to yourself. And so now one of the practices that I have is that I'll have those same thoughts. They never go away. I don't think, but when they happen now where I'm like, you don't deserve this. You can't. I'll be like, now nah, fuck that. Do the shit. Even if yeah. I don't believe it. And yeah. just that little lie, it just puts me, like you said, it raises my frequency and it mm -hmm. pushes me past what used to just completely destroy me. And then I would just cycle into it. Um, oh, yeah. yeah and I, could, you could go down a fucking loop. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and and then, then you don't want to do anything. You don't wake up the next morning. You don't move. You don't do anything. And you're like, fuck it. You cancel plans. Yeah. I don't know if you've canceled an interview yet, but you know, stuff like that. Happens. It's come close. You know, when I first started the interview series that it would happen because I would have imposter syndrome and, you know, thinking all these things, was that ever a problem that you suffered from in your career where you're like, I, this is no, never. awesome. I love no, that. No, fine, <laughs> I think, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think I can, I can pinpoint it to like, like being a painter. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know how to paint shit, you know, like I didn't, I didn't even know what painting was. So um, if you even hand me a brush right now with uh, still to this day, if you hand me a brush with acrylic paint or oils, I, I totally, I don't know what to do with it. You know, I, I'd rather, I'll end up, I'll end up throwing the brush away and just drawing with the, with the tube. That's where I feel at home, you know, when I can mm. make a mark and I can do mm. it fast. And I had to come to grips with that. And when I found the Japanese brush, I'm like, Oh, this feels good. Nice. This, but it still feels imposterish because painters don't paint with Japanese brushes on canvas with ink, you know? Mm -hmm. So there, there's been different steps of that, whatever people call imposter syndrome. Uh, yeah, I can't be a painter if I'm doing a Japanese brush on a fucking canvas. Who says, you know? And then 
over time you're like oh dude it's any tool you want to use it's whatever feels right it's whatever feels good and uh and now it's like hand me anything hand me a fucking i painted with like bones like my my friend gave me had some antlers at his, he, he makes like he, he used to make he still does he makes knives damn he had like deer antlers that were like for handles i'm like i want one of those that's I made so a cool. pen out of that you know like just cool shit just yeah whatever you super can. cool on that wave so for people who don't know you you know you've created things from flipogram which ended up being tiktok you know the pixel pops which is like new age oh, hello I kitty created, i just designed the logo and stuff but yeah you know yeah you created the image you're right and and the image is profitable like you've yeah. proven value in this space right and so i'm curious if you could if you could put a word to it or put a sense to it what would your if you could choose your mark that you would leave what are you trying to achieve like what would be the dream scenario I'm not trying to achieve anything yes <laughs> i used to want to but nothing absolutely nothing that's awesome man he was a good guy. He was a good dad. He was a good son, which I'm failing at all of them right now, but whatever. I'm working. I on disagree. It. Yeah. You're doing it for them, man. Don't yeah, say that. Yeah. He was, a, you know, he was a good friend. And in general, he didn't fuck anybody over and he helped as many as he could. And, you know, I, I think that's pretty much the bottom line of it. Uh, the art is, you know, it's just my expression. If people like it, that's great. I, it makes me happy that they like it. I do get into my egotistical zones where all I talk about is work and what's happening. And I, I get into those all the time with, you know, and my wife's like, Fuck, you, you don't talk. Here we go yourself? again. Yeah. You want to talk about something else? You want to ask me how I'm doing? Yeah. I'd be a horrible date, dude. Like, you know how on dates they say you got to talk about, like, ask the girl what's going on. I'm like the worst. We share in that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's always about what's happening now because it's like it's fun, you know. I'm, mm -hmm. I've, I always have had fun even in the toughest times with with the process of what's happening, you know. Even when I when I'm in tears, like because I can't afford tires for the car, dude, you know, like shit like that, you know. Hey, but man. you just you just keep going forward and you have fun. Uh, but yeah, I think that the best thing for anyone is you know these truths like spiritual truths is you know some of the stuff that i've experienced in the law of attraction and manifesting and all that stuff these are just terms for reality mm -hmm. it's like if you're having fun doing something that you love keep doing it don't expect it to pay your bills keep doing it work at night doing something else until that pays off one of the books that i that i haven't talked about on clubhouse that was kind of uh, enlightening was the book called Big Magic. I forget mm. the author's name, but she wrote, have you read it? That Well, it's crazy that you say that. Shout out to Allison, my big sister. She gave me that book, I want to say like five years ago. No way. <laughs> I can't read though. I mean, I can read, I'm literate, but like, man, <laughs> that you're making Listen me realize like, I got to read it. I have Listen it. It's like it. literally on my bookshelf. Like, I So I'll buy books and then I end up buying the Audible. So like I'll have the book, mm. but I end up listening to it instead. That's so what I need to do. Get the, the there's a lot of good stuff in that book. One about ideas. Ideas are like, you know, she says like they're not yours. They're they come, they sit in your brain, and then mm -hmm. they give you a time limit. They're like, hey, move on this. If you don't move on it, 
it goes to somebody else's brain. Damn. Sometimes it goes to two people's brain, you know? Wow. Two, yeah. So that's like one, one thing that I do believe because I have things that I drew when I was 15 years old, like inventions. I have an invention. You've probably seen it on Instagram. Uh, I didn't do it. I was 15 and I have the drawing. It's, it's a latex rubber bandy kind of thing you put on your fingers. And it's got a base. And you go like this to exercise your hand. Oh my God. I drew that in like 1989. I have this, I have the hand. I have, have you seen it? I know exactly what you're talking about. Instagram? I don't know what it's called, but I know exactly. Yes. Yeah. Seen, yeah. Dude, they're selling tons of them. Yeah. Tons. I, drew that, I drew that concept when I was like 14 or 13. It's, it's weird. So that idea has been around and who would think like in 2020, people are buying like, you know, back then it would have made sense, you know? Uh, that's the one thing. The other thing that, that she said that was like really informative, she wrote Eat, Love, Pray, uh, which was a yep. huge success. Yeah, yeah. As a movie, both as, as a book, you know, uh, and she, I don't know if she was a waitress before that, trying to make money to, to do her book. Uh, but one of the things that she says about creativity is asking your creativity to go out there and make a buck for you or make money for you. Like when it's, not matured enough uh, is like asking your four-year-old to go and make money for you. You kill its spirit, you know, mm. go, go, go fucking do. Go work. bring some money home. Go bring some money home, bro. Dad needs new shoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't do that to your creative, your creative soul, you mm. know? So paint, draw, whatever it is, do it because you love it and share it. And then when the time is right, you know, like the NFT market, things like that, that are happening, even in this market that, that you have to be on clubhouse or you got to be on Twitter all the time. You got to set aside three, four five hours a day to paint, to create, because it doesn't, and you got to set aside some time to make the, make your living work for a living, you know, whatever it is you have to do. So you don't have that pressure of having to sell, to make a living, right? Having to sell, to make a living is, is, is the worst thing that you can do to yourself so so valid listen man we've gotten we've gotten to the the midway point of where we're going with the interview and i appreciate all the thought-provoking conversation that we have you know but being an artist and being an you know eccentric and uh incredible person i like to ask some more artistic creative questions sure. so at this point in the interview i like to kind of transition but i want to thank you for all the answers that you got i mean wow yeah. um i look forward to re-listening to this because i'm so inspired right now and i'm gonna need that again i know i'm gonna have a low day i'm gonna be like let me let me rerun that alley episode so (laughs) you got it at this point i like to ask a series of eccentric questions the first of which being if you were to be a hero or a superhero that could be from stanley creations to mythology if you could be a hero from where it a written hero it's already been done which hero would you be and why Hmm. well i've always had a thing for superman (laughs) he was a good guy you could fly. He had superpowers. I mean, and he was six six. I'm six six. I used to have like Superman statues and like rings and all that stuff. Love it. But yeah, and he has That's a six awesome. pack. That's like a dream. <laughs> I want a six pack. Can I have? A I six love pack? that. No, I. That, so you know, hard. yo, it's not easy. Um, I don't think I I will ever have one either. But it was. It's one of those things. It'd be cool. I think yeah, it'd be dope. It'd be, it'd be really cool. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, you know. Now, 
you create the superhero. So what if you had like omnipotent powers, you're like, you know, a Stan Lee, what would your superpowers be? And what would your superhero name be? Oh, well, you know, I would be a time traveling ninja bunny. Wow. Oh, that's Stitch Bunny's entire <laughs> origins. <laughs> so what would the name, what would your name be as the Stitch Bunny uh, superhero? Uh, ultra nice nice ultra the time traveling ninja bunny yeah can't beat it (laughs) i might have to bring that into pixel pop because stitch bunny has those powers and he also has powers to manifest shit whatever he does just happens so sick kind of fun yeah super fun super like time travel me too yeah. I love it. That's why I like Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. He's fucking all over the place. He's everything, right? He does. He's got the superhero powers. He's got like, like the spiritual powers of creation and manifestation and opening shit, making shit. Yeah, yeah I love that. Life's pretty good for him. Yeah, yeah. He's pretty fun. He's dope. Yeah, he's, he's definitely dope. dope. I don't like I, his goatee though. No, me neither. Yeah, <laughs> he's a shave. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit. Come on, man. We're playing. We're playing in the realm of cliches at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so now i like to train you know we've talked about the superheroes and i love i love where your mind went with that and any cartoonist or graphic novelist if you want to send a sketch of your own version please send it to your alley or myself we got to see that um i've I've also changed uh physically since i started having superpowers uh like a year before my superpowers came into play uh i my entire hair burnt off and I didn't used to have a long beard. This started growing out. And I just thought that I'm going to keep growing it because to balance out not having a hair, <laughs> I wasn't planning on looking like a wizard, but I ended up looking like a fucking wizard, dude. Like I look like that emoji. I'm just I love missing it. the hat. Yeah. Uh, but my friends say, you know, because of the healing stuff, my friends say, well, maybe you needed to look like this for people to trust you as a healer. You know, I'm like, all right, I guess. It's the look. You it's needed the, the look. look to match the talent. Yeah. And it happened like this, dude. Like if you go look back in like my videos two years ago, full head of hair, like weird. It just burnt off. One day it started turning red and hot and like burning. And wild. They, they, they said I had scarring alopecia. Mm. And it burns off the hair follicles and there's wow. no way it's going to grow back. So it was like but it's very- on your face. How does that how does it translate like that? Is that is this alopecia only affect certain areas of your body sometimes? No, scarring alopecia can can affect like deeply other places, too. Like mm. I noticed like maybe the inside of my eyebrows, my eyebrows were like bushier probably. And, mm. you know, so I put some stuff on it like steroids or whatever to to calm it down. But if I had maybe done steroids uh, topical or injections in the hair. It could have slowed it down or stopped it, but it was too mm. late. When I found out, I took a selfie and there was like a hole. It's like, what the fuck? Like, where did it go? So <laughs> I think it was all part of the plan. Uh, I still have a, uh, it's kind of difficult to to see like pictures or videos when I see myself because I don't feel like I'm bald. You know what I mean? But yeah. It just happened. I love it. Um, you rock it, man. I yeah. fuck with it. On, <laughs> on this note, you know, we talk about the, you know, the accent, the, the arts, right? We speak about the arts all the time in Clubhouse. And I feel one of the most underrepresented art forms is the universal language we all speak, the culinary arts. Mm. Uh, 
And I try to preface it in, in the interview. You know, I, I really credit Chef's Table with kind of opening my eyes to just how artistic the expression of being a chef is. Mm -hmm. uh, so this next question is in relation to the food. So the first of the food related questions would be, if you had to eat three regions, three regional cuisines for the rest of your life, what regions would you choose? Japanese, Persian, and in and out. <laughs> and in and out. That's the region right there. I love it. I got to get hip to Persian food, man. That's, yeah. I'm not hip. Dude, you're like right by the best restaurants. Really? Yeah. There's like Shamshiri, there's Sharazad, there's like, there's tons. Can you, you send just... me some of these names so I can yeah. start? All right. I got to improve yeah, send my Send me palette. exactly where you are, like your, your location. I'll, I'll draw you a map of where you go and what to eat. Awesome. I'll send yeah. it literally there's right nothing, after this. There's nothing better. I mean, not, not to toot it. It's like, I love all other foods. But you can't, Persian cuisine, you can't beat. I can't wait. No, don't rock that shit, man. Don't apologize yeah, to the I'll haters. Take you, I'll take you there. Yeah, yes, please. Let's go. When I'm we meet up in person, we got to get some Persian yeah, food. That's sick. Hell yeah. So on that, favorite sauces, top three favorite sauces, what would you choose? Tapatio. Nice. Fun. I nice. think it's like a staple. Staple. Um, ponzu sauce. Ooh, I think ponzu is great with almost everything. Fuck yeah! And one more sauce. You could have it be too. I, I would say ranch, but <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna do it. It's so funny you say that because I was gonna ask favorite condiment. That's amazing. Ooh, but I've never really liked ranch much. Uh, but but I like it in our context of what's yep. been happening with the ranch. Movement. I say that all the time to people. I'm like, mm -hmm. never was a fan of ranch. Now, absolutely love it. Yeah. Never eat it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, exactly. I'll never, I'll never dip my carrots in ranch, but I do love the. I fucking love it. Yeah. I, that's amazing, man. Well, listen, we've made it to the end. I got two last questions for you. The first of which being, you know, this episode is going to come out in the future, but you know, what are some things that you want people to know, to pay attention to uh, any, any words for the audience to pay attention? Yeah, I think uh, from a from a creative standpoint, create without fear. You know, explore yourself without fear. That's the that's what I've been trying to share. Don't mm. judge yourself. Mm. Don't judge others. Mm. You know, those are those are because when you judge other people's work or your you know other people's actions, whether it's good or bad, you're tying your your um, karma into them. Mm. So what happens is you know, oh, poor guy. Even even if you're gonna like oh poor poor person, you know like why are you feeling sorry for that person? You're taking away their integrity, even right. if the homeless person, you know? Right. So those are some of the spiritual laws that I feel like I've kind of connected with and I've done, and it leaves you a lot more free to create. Uh, I always talk about frequency and vibration just because of the fact that it was so life-changing. Uh, you know, the books I've recommended that I think people should read, including Big Magic. I think, uh, you know, Quantum Touch books are great. Uh, for learn not even to learn how to do healing work, but to learn how to raise your vibration and frequency and also um, energy codes. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things about that is that the more higher your frequency is, you're connected to source. That's where you're creating from, but also you're creating your entire life. It's not just creating work mm -hmm. and things just happen more naturally for you. So I've had, a, you have a low resistance life. Resistance is always going to be there. Mm -hmm. how you're going to react to it and things like that resistance being 
arguments with your girlfriend or boyfriend or, you know, not selling a piece, you know, there's resistance there that's internally yours that you're taking responsibility for what's happening. The reason why it's not selling is because something in you is resisting that, that process. You know, I have, you know, pieces up that haven't sold, you know, maybe they don't feel, um, authentically priced right now for where I am and I'm playing a game or whatever it is that I'm doing. So I have to kind of check myself in those situations. So instead of getting anxious about it, find out the source of the source of the resistance and then pass through it by That's raising your vibration. Good. Huge. Yeah. Such good advice. And you know, it really ties into the final question, but I'm going to set a scene for you here. But this is the final, you've made it. You, you, you reached the promised land and this is it. I'm going to set the okay. scene for you. It's 33 years from today. We're on a private island beach on Pluto. The NFT community is there with us. It's an absolute rager. Uh, you, Dario and I have connecting private islands. Strata's DJing. Swan VR is setting up our interview to project across the cosmos. Uh, Michael Rutledge is giving consulting speeches in the background. The whole NFT space is there partying their asses off. Jen Stein is selling her dildo art to everybody. It's an absolute rager. And, you know, it's getting, we're eating space food. We're looking at space fish. Our islands are on the back of a sea turtle that floats in the nothingness of the cosmos. And it's, everyone's watching it. We've minted the interview for trillions and it's getting to the end. And people are like, oh shit, sub, it's fine. We're all quieting down. Everyone's kind of paying attention. And the final question is this, what would you want to hear yourself say 33 years from today at a space rave? What would you want to hear yourself saying right now? Oh man. <laughs> Best question in the interview. <laughs> We're at a space rave. Okay, you gotta give me some time on this one. Take as much time as you want. Welcome to my planet. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Pluto is owned by Savant in the view. <laughs> so good. Uh, I don't know. I love it, man. One. It was great. Yeah. I think you're going to really enjoy hearing yourself say that 33 years from now. <laughs> Pluto is a good one to, to own. I, I agree. It's like yeah. half planet, half moon. Somebody should do that, by the way. Somebody should do the cosmos and sell planets as mint. Yeah. Instead of like super world, it should be supergalaxy.com or dot IO. This could be a new Sabit project, man. Whatever that is. Yeah. Do sell, sell, own your own planet. I should buy Pluto right now. <laughs> I need the metaverse. Yeah. Yeah. It should be a planetary metaverse. And then people can build. Oh, yeah. Dude, we're talking about a huge idea right now. And everybody the up. fuck? <laughs> That's a huge we'll idea. We'll cut this out. We'll cut this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is NDA, NDA. NDA, exactly. We'll, we'll anybody heard this? Yeah, yeah, anybody heard this? This is trademarked. Uh, yeah. You will be sued. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, uh, thank you so much. I was going to show you something. Uh, this is something I'm going to share with you. I don't know if you were in a room where I kind of, I've been hinting at it. Um, and whether or not you want to put this in the interview or not, it's okay. But I think it's, I'm going to establish a little bit of history here with you before it happens. Awesome. Because it's going to happen. Uh, have you seen this bottle before? 
Dude, I we talked about this when we first scheduled this interview. I had bought it for the first time before the day before me and you scheduled our interview. I had bought no it for way. the first time. Isn't that crazy? What, what, made, what made you buy it? I liked how it looked. Shut up. I swear really? to God. Well, I swear to God. I was oh, walking in a grocery store and I needed toner and I seen the bottle and I was like, ooh, that looks really cool. That looks like it would be a good product. Picked it up, bought it. And then you told me that you designed it. I was like, are you That's fucking crazy. kidding? The day that we schedule our interview. Why do you need toner? I want to look good. Yeah. Do you use it? You actually yeah. use toner all yeah. the time? What's your usual toner? I've never used toner yet. Like I it was usually it. I use like rose water, stuff like that, um, witch yeah. hazel. But but what no. brand? Well, usually it was like any brand, but now it's that. Now it's Thayer. It's Thayer's, yeah. So uh, Thayer's, did you get the rose water? Yes. So what you exactly. did? I think I, I think I got my partner Indigo. She has the rose water one. I had the lavender one. That's cool. And they just, I just saw that they put new, a uh, new scent on the, on the lavender, new improved scent. Um, so did you hear what I'm going to do? No. You don't know what I'm going to do? No. Okay. So uh, Thayer's was, is a 200 year company, 1847. Mm -hmm. When I came in, in 2015, maybe 2015, uh, I worked with the uh, with the CEO at the time and the owner of the company. He was probably like the third owner of the company mm. and he had done really well with it. They were doing, I don't know, $4 million in sales or something. Yeah. And he asked, he had seen my work for U-Theory. I don't know if you've seen U-Theory. Mm -hmm. uh, you have? Yeah, yeah. So, I did so a little you, bit of research for this interview. <laughs> so U-Theory, U-Theory, I did the bottles. I did the same thing from scratch. Wow. The, bottle, the square bottles, that was the first square bottles for whatever labels and they became huge i don't mm -hmm. know how much they make but they're huge costco everywhere so he, he had seen that work and he asked me to do it and uh not only i i did a brand audit i changed the way the the labels look i made a consistent plan from from a visual perspective and then i asked him if he was open to me redesigning the bottle mm. and so we found the 19 the 1847 bottles that Dr. Thayer, this dude right here, used to use. Uh, it was a glass bottle that was this shape exactly. Nice. Or not exactly, but a modified glass version of this. Right. So I, I went back and I brought up the designs and I worked with an industrial designer and uh, we came up with this design. And then, you know, they made like 10 million of them that year and they sold a ton. And then just recently they sold to L'Oreal for $200 million. Oh, 400 million. $400 million. Yeah. In four years. Good for them. So the last time I worked for them was probably mid 2019 met with the CEO. And now uh, there's another CEO at the helm, which is, which was the director of sales at the time. And now he's the top guy. Talked to them, talked to him last night. I told him what I was going to do. I asked for his blessing. He said, okay, uh, L'Oreal, we'll see what, what L'Oreal I'm not going to ask permission from l'oreal but i just needed them internally because they're more like a family you know mm -hmm. like my like i was really close to them so i just wanted them to be in the loop of what i was going to do so the the way this has become i mean where did you see this cvs or cvs right cvs yeah yeah so ralph cvs they they basically transcended the the natural product market mm. right before they were purchased they were already in cvs and ralph's and things like that and it's when you're at CVS and Ralph's at, you know, and obviously here, and I'm sure all the supermarkets around the world, uh, you're now a household name. 
Right. Right. Thayer's is back to being a big time household name with the youth because before it was an old school brand, nobody knew what Witch Hazel was. Like somebody your age would probably, I know, when did you find out about Witch Hazel? I was like 21 and I needed something for razor burn. And I had okay. an ex at the time that was like, start using Witch Hazel. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so you get the toner and there's the, there's the other thing. But this bottle and this design has become an iconic thing. When you pass by it, you can't miss it anymore. I'm sure when you see the red cap, you're going to know. And we have all the products are got red caps now and everything is white and red and black. And, you know, with the, with the iconic illustrations that I created in the middle. Um, so imagine this, if I was Andy Warhol and I was doing cans of soup back mm -hmm. then, and I was going to do another product right now, but I'm, so what the soup can was to Andy Warhol, this is going to be to me. Mm. Except the thing is, the difference is I designed this bottle. Right, exactly. It's yours. Soup can. This is mine. So I designed this thing from scratch and I can, you know, I have the company's blessing and backing that says I designed it. They were there. I have proof. I have all my initial design specs that I did with the uh, industrial designer that we did in the pitch deck. I have an entire history of what this is.